Welcome to Blink of an Eye, where we interview thought leaders and deep thinkers on trauma healing wisdom, both ancient and modern, as we learn together with experts from around the world. We also engage in captivating relational conversations with spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in our Dear Louise series. Out of one mom's trauma to integration story, Blink of an Eye brings you a collection of unparalleled and diverse views as we take you on an inspiring and unvarnished look at the true nature of trauma in all our lives. Today's episode is part of our Dear Louise series, where I have the joy of conversing with extraordinary individuals living with spinal cord injury, who both embrace and defy their physical limitations as entrepreneurs, trailblazers, tastemakers, and innovators. Join us as we explore what is possible in spinal cord injury. This episode is sponsored by Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and by Baltimore Mediation. One, a wife, and the other, a girlfriend, Brooke Paget and Elena Pauly are women living with partners who live with spinal cord injury. Their proximate position as both caregiver and partner presents a challenging dynamic, and they believe their distinctive caregiver-lover relationship is best comprehended by those who share similar experiences. Thus, they started WAGS, Wives and Girlfriends of SCI. Their website has been something of a phenom, as WAGS of SCI has quickly established itself as a robust global network of women providing support to other able-bodied women who are facing SCI daily alongside their SCI partners. Elena and Brooke's primary objective is to engage with their community, advocate for caregiver benefits, and ensure that WAGS of SCI is a steadfast presence for those women who are just embarking on the journey of living with an SCI partner. Stay tuned for a behind-the-scenes talk with these SCI innovators. Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget founded WAGS of SCI in Vancouver, Canada. They both had life partners living with recent spinal cord injuries, and they felt isolated as caregivers. Connecting via Instagram, they realized They lived close geographically and formed a strong bond. They initiated WAGS of SCI on Instagram in November 2017, hosting local events for caregivers of SCI and connecting other inter-abled women who were wives, partners, and girlfriends of those living with SCI. The group provides support to caregivers about the unique aspects of relationships and spinal cord injuries. Elena and Brooke tirelessly advocate and do outreach. WAGS's long-term goals include a nonprofit for interabled relationship support, mental, emotional, 
and physical well-being awareness, and raising funds for trips for deserving couples. Welcome to the WAGS team. It's so good to have you both here on the show. So doesn't matter who goes first, but give us a sense of who each of you is. All right. Well, uh, my name is Alina Pauly. As you said, I am 36 years old. I began Wags of SEI with Brooke after we had met within our city over hashtags quadriplegic spinal cord injury on Instagram. And we saw that there was uh, very little support within our city. So we began Wags of SCI in hopes of meeting other women who were in our position to create a group just for us and get to know other individuals living this very unique experience. That was the very beginning of Wags of SCI. And Elena, what was the position that you just referenced? You said other women in our position. Yes, absolutely. So when I met Brooke, actually, it was I was brand new to, to figuring life out with spinal cord injury as my partner just sustained it a few months before I met Brooke. And uh, just realizing that there were so many very real conversations that my friends and family just didn't understand around disability, around secondary conditions that come along with spinal cord injury, and around being a truly being a caregiver after spinal cord injury occurred. And I felt that there was a huge void really there for, you know, your friends and family, like we always say, they come out for the nice lunches, the really fun dinners, some outings, get to see you. And then they hop back in their car and they get to go home when you are the one that's there with your partner day and night around the clock. And you're both trying to figure out what, I don't like to use the term new normal, but truly it, it is a new normal, what that looks like yeah. for you. Our friendship circles were changing. We couldn't participate in the things that we once loved or we didn't have the same interests anymore because we dove headfirst into the medical reality of spinal cord injury and truly survival. Yeah, so much there. I'm going to look forward to unpacking that. And as we move into this conversation even deeper, is there anything about Elena that you would like our listeners to know about you? Oh my, <laughs> I think that could be a whole other episode. <laughs> well, I am from Siberia, Russia. I was adopted at eight years old by a single parent, a female. She adopted my friend at the time named Olga. Olga was seven and I was eight. And we had been living in a group orphanage for two years at that point already before our mother, Margaret Polly, came to Russia and scooped us up. And my mother was diagnosed with Parkinson's and lived with Parkinson's for about 20 years. So I got to have a bit of a peek into what it looks like to live with disability. And I was my mother's POA until she just passed away last year. I felt that my partner's injury, even though there were many similarities between living and helping somebody with disability, I felt that my, my mother's living with Parkinson's sort of prepared me for what was about to happen. And I guess that's a, a way I can look at it as a positive <laughs> um, through everything. But that is a little bit about me. Thank you. It is fascinating for my life too, just in for me spiritually, almost how 
the path that I chose to live or that God's universe presented to me help prepare for these moments of living with a loved one with spinal cord injury. Thank you for that. Brooke, how about for you? What's uh, the essence of Brooke? So my partner was injured in 2014. Um, He was 24. He was quite young. And we had been together for four years before his injury. We were living in Vancouver together. And, you know, we had built a life. And both of us were very career-driven before his accident. I remember he broke his arm at work at actually the same job site that he had got his spinal cord injury um, at a year after. He broke his arm. And I remember he had a cast and he needed help showering then. And I remember I was just the opposite of a caregiver. I couldn't even handle it. Like I, it stressed me out too much. I was like, I'm not this person, you know? And then a year later, he sustained his spinal cord injury. And what happened during that time was something shifted in me that was bigger than me. Um, It was a monumental shift to the point where I, something just kicked in and I just was like, no, I need to learn his caregiving. I need to learn what's going on here. I need to immerse myself in this world. I didn't really have a reason, but it was new to me because I had been kind of the opposite of someone who was maternal. And so I started going to his rehabilitation center every morning at 7 a.m. And I would watch the nurses and I would learn his routine to the point where, because they were so short-staffed, I would do the majority of his routine in the hospital because he would be late for his appointments if I didn't. And so it got to the point where I was doing so much of his care. I was coming in and doing his showers and I got really good at it. And it was kind of in a weird way, my calling. And I would, I had never taken, you know, family life seriously before. I had always been one that was like, you know, I don't want to have kids. I want to be a career woman. I want to travel the world with my partner. And so that happened. And all of a sudden I was this different person that just really, really appreciated the caregiving aspect of my life. And I wanted to expand on that. And yeah, I don't really know where that came from, but here I am nine years later. (laughs) So. I was just going to ask you how long ago that was. It's crazy, isn't it? This uh, career driven, no kids, see the world, don't have time for caregiving and something really huge shifted, something bigger than you. Well, I'm happy that in some ways that happened because of all of the meaning that the two of you are helping to provide other caregivers of SCI. Let's dive into WAGS. I'm fascinated by it and also excited by the undertaking that the two of you brave women have taken. But oh my, any Google search brings up a lot of controversy about just the term WAGS. So, so let's clear the air about that first. <laughs> Are you talking about the footballers' wives? <laughs> yes. And, you know, those who think it's diminutive and discriminatory and all the ways that the acronym and the word WAGS is used, wives and girlfriends. What does it stand for for you all? Well, as you can tell by our shirts, you know, we are fun. Our group is fun and our group is positive and lighthearted. And while we deal with a lot of serious subjects, we do not want to be institutionalized and, you know, cold and we're fun, right? 
And so the name came about actually when Elena and I decided to start the group and we were coming up with a name. I, one of my, even to this day, things that I love to do is I love to read UK gossip, <laughs> like the Daily Mail. And I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. It's so yes. titillating. <laughs> and so like they talk all the time. It's not so much a thing in North America until the show came out, but in the UK, it's a huge, big deal. It's a whole culture of the wives and girlfriends of football players. And so I was like, well, we're wives and girlfriends of SCI. It, it, the acronym was perfect. So I was like, why don't we just do that? It was definitely a more fun, lighthearted thing to kind of take the tone away from medical and uh, sterile. Because, you know, both of us were young women, right? We found that the community as a whole was very sterile, especially during our hospital experience. And everything was just so like uptight. And we didn't want the group to be like that at all. And were both of you, when you started WAGS, girlfriends? Or had you moved into being a wife? Or for you, Elena, were you a wife when the injury happened? Great question. Actually, I was the girlfriend. Brooke was the wife. So I am still not a wife. I'm a fiancé. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have WAGS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And fiancés. <laughs> yeah, and so you all referenced your fun shirts. I am looking at these hot pink shirts. They say wags of SCI. And what else do they say on them? It's just the wives and it just says what it is. Wives and girlfriends of spinal cord injury. It's a very similar logo to the, you know, the footballers or the show that was on E. That show is not on anymore, however. So. But been a little bit of a riff. Yeah. on what they had because it was, gosh, I mean, you could even look it up in Wikipedia and it refers to a female partner or a life partner who is in a relationship with any athlete. Um, yeah. So there it is. And, and we just want to clear the air because there is some controversy about some women thinking it is demeaning as to be called as such. But for you, it's not that way at all. You're, it's light, lighthearted, and practical. Yeah, let's get in to what the content of WAG's conversations are. What, what do the members, are they members? How do they belong or get teamed up with you? And what do you talk about? Where do we begin here? So at the very beginning of, of running WAG's of SDI, Brooke and I created an ambassador program where we noticed very quickly. So in 2017, I guess we should rewind. In 2017, we were picked up by the Washington Post by an investigative journalist named Amber Ferguson. And I guess that's exactly what she wanted to do. She wanted to investigate who are these wags of SCI. From there, it was, you know, man, oh man. Brooke and I created the group because we really saw that there was a need for the group, for the conversations, for the very open conversations, things that you couldn't talk to your parents about, things that you didn't want to talk to your parents about or his parents about. And so at that time, we created a private discussion group on Facebook. So you have to be a member to be able to join the private discussion group. And that's where you get all the juicy topics, you know, around sexual health, around IVF, um, around relationships with your parents, relationships with your friends. You talk about, basically, you can openly discuss any topic and 
from that group, women from all walks of life with a lot more experience than us or a lot less experience or lived experience with their partners than us come there and they're able to very privately share their thoughts, share their intimate moments, share their questions, and somebody will answer. Now, that group is very active. So it is ran by three moderators from the WAGs of SEI. We have Alice Wilson, who is in the UK. We have Heidi Estrada, who also runs the After Dark groups through United Spinal. And we have Ashley Lira from Indiana, who has gone through multiple IVF journeys. So these women bring a whole heap of lived experience, really true lived experience, which we believe makes you the expert to the group. (laughs) We realized that date nights were really important. We really wanted couples to be able to bond over date night. And as you know, this injury is very expensive that, you know, by the time you finish paying for catheters, for medical supplies, for a house cleaner, for a care aid, for a dog walker, you name it, you don't have a whole bunch of funds left over to go spend on a date night, even a coffee date. So Brooke and I, we really put boots down on the ground and we got up at, we began getting up at 6 a.m. and going out and collecting soda cans and beer cans. We did that for a little while and we would take it back to, you know, the deposit center. We would get our money and we, after collecting that money, we would do draws for couples to be able to win a date night with the money that we collected. And we saw right away, there was a huge need. People were applying from all over the world for a date night. And I think the biggest turning point for us was when a couple from across the world in Africa won one of, one of the date nights. And they were able to take that money and they got themselves a whole weekend stay at a hotel with dinner and really were able to unplug and enjoy themselves. And that's when Brooke and I looked at each other and we were like, wow, we have something here. And wow, it makes me kind of emotional (laughs) because it's just what a journey it's been. But that's that really pushed us to keep going. Something so simple and yet not simple at all for all the preliminary that would be needed to go out and then what would await them that would actually be welcoming and actually giving respite as opposed to just creating something that was another burden was such a gift, such a gift. And that's how it started. Brooke, where'd you come in at that point? A lot of the women that um, that win these date nights or that apply for the date nights, they actually can't be separated from their partner because they don't have nursing. There's nobody else to care for their partner. And so they just end up staying home a lot. And, you know, that's no fun. So we're happy to provide that. You know, one of the things we've become really aware of in the spinal cord injury community, it's a natural, it's not necessarily a positive thing, but it's a very understandable, natural thing to happen, which is a quality of enmeshment with a caregiver and their loved one, their family member. You can almost begin to have groupthink or isolation. I imagine that might be a topic you discuss at WAGS too. It's very real, all stemming from love. Yeah, not you're both nodding your heads. Yeah. And this is one of the things that, like Elena was saying earlier, you just can't talk about with your family 
or your partner. And so that's what the group is really good for is because the reason we have our team of moderators as well as us is because we refuse to have a group that doesn't provide constructive support, right? The tone of the internet, (laughs) I'm sure you know, can be very negative. It can be very draining. And we said from the very beginning, we don't care how much we get hated on for this. We are going to keep the tone of positive support and solutions. And, you know, there's so many posts that happen where we just have to get involved right away and because they're like wildfire, right? Negativity spreads. And we want to keep it a place that's not only safe, but constructive and positive. And that just keeps that tone. And we've done that since 2017. And I'm really proud of our group for sticking with that because a lot of these groups just can become battlefields, right? Yeah, it's a real values-driven mission that you're undertaking to keep things positive. Give us an example of how something could spread like wildfire and really derail something that is so positively important. Uh, I think naturally in all human life, we come with emotions. And during when you're experiencing time and time again, frustration, when you're being held back by not having your needs met in terms of the government support, whether it's spousal pay, whether it's being able to pay for your bills, whether it's your partner going through pains and aches as their body shifts and changes in their wheelchair over time, secondary conditions popping up, you know, whatever it is that really can become frustrating. And I think that part of the group's purpose is that women are able to come onto the platform and share everything, the good and the bad and the frustrations, as well as the really happy celebratory times. And it's a very fine line between keeping, like Brooke had mentioned earlier, the conversations constructive with constructive criticism where a place, you know, you can actually come in and feel like you can unload, where you can share with like-minded individuals. And in that frustration, being able to have the maturity, the emotional maturity to be able to say, okay, this has been a really, maybe it's a tough situation. It's a tough day. It's not a tough life. I've chosen this. I'm going to get through this. Being able to sort of unplug yourself from that and, and create actual support and criticism through that where you're able to, you know, be the looker out or looking in into the situation that it's not the worst thing. I mean, our group has been, has done a very, I feel like a fantastic job at being able to pull away from saying, you know what, this is just awful. I'm having an awful time. Um, right now I'm feeling like my partner's not listening to me or my needs are not being met. And I think truly it all comes out of just the lack of support at the end of the day, which is why WEGS of SEI was created, was to be able to fill in those gaps, was was to be able to give that support, give that back to both partners. You know, like they say, it's a happy wife, happy life. <laughs> we'll pause now in support of our sponsors who support Blink of an Eye. We'll be right back. Blink of an Eye nonprofit is filling a gap nationwide in response to spinal cord injury trauma for families in the first hours and days of injury. 
With fewer than 20 hospitals in the country having SEI expertise, Blink of an Eye has navigators who themselves have been there as SEI survivors and who are trained in relational approaches to trauma, who are available 24-7 to support families, empowering them on their journeys, navigating their lives, and interacting with medical staff for the first 30 days. The nonprofit's mission is to transform the SCI crisis experience into an extraordinary one, despite the devastation. When you learn of a newly injured SCI family, call Blink of an Eye on their toll-free number, 1-844-41-BLINK. You can also learn more and get involved with Blink of an Eye at www.blinkofaneye.org. Blink of an Eye is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Since 1993, Baltimore Mediation has been leading the way in a relational approach to conflict and problem solving. They are national leaders in teaching and providing fully immersive and experiential online training in mediation and conflict transformation skills. Register for the next course at www. BaltimoreMediation.com. The quality of your interactions at work, at home, and in your daily life will be transformed. And you will create more well-being for yourself and others. Better process, better outcome. Baltimore Mediation. And now, back to the show. It's tricky, you know, emotions and, you know, conflict. I'm a mediator by background, and the way that we have oftentimes offered to groups who are bonding or want to be together, but the topics are prickly and sensitive and complex, is to create some guidelines. And it sounds like your moderators are are part of that answer But one of the things I know relationally is that people need to feel heard, even when they are venting and in pain and screaming and bitching and complaining. And it's only then when they really feel that somebody else feels them that they can turn that corner on problem-solving, Brooke, as you mentioned. Do you find that's true? I do. And I think one of the main things that separates us from a lot of other groups is that we, we refuse to play the victim, you know, just to expand on what Elena was saying. We are choosing to be in this relationship as hard as it can be sometimes. We're choosing solutions, support, community over becoming a victim and saying that, oh, this happened to me. I'm not going to learn anything from it. So everyone in the group knows that, that that's the tone of the group, that you know, we're not victims, right? We're not victims here. Yeah. And we've chosen this. It's true. And there's a healthy way, like, you know, just to expand on what Elena was saying, there's a healthy way to express your anger and frustration. And if you just understand that you're not a victim, you can still express it in a very healthy way. And keep in mind, a lot of the women on the group, and this is just something that I'm sure you've seen time and time again, they can't afford therapy. We can't afford therapy. I mean, it's very expensive. Usually it's very hard to find a therapist. A lot of... A trauma-informed therapist, let alone a spinal cord. 
injury. Yes. And so the building blocks of the group is knowing that we all have to function as a community that will help guide these women in a neutral way, but in a non-victimized way and a more like empowering way. You know, like our slogan is empowering women, supporting their partners and chairs. It has been from the beginning. And we have that empowering tone where it's like, you need to feel empowered as much as it sucks sometimes, as painful as it is, there is a way to express your anger and frustration in a healthy way. And we're not the place to come if you want to bash your partner, if you want to, you know, we've we've had that happen many times, just to be honest, like we've had to fight those fires um, in a positive way and figure that out. And so it's been a really good learning experience for us. You know, I think it, I can only imagine that it's been a good learning experience and also the courage and tenacity to stick with it because conflict and trauma, it's very mercurial and it changes and shifts. And we also are not necessarily at our best or talking to others who can even receive something uh, as it relates to an idea in when the emotions are flooding as they do in any kind of trauma or crisis. So it's really a testament to your tenacity and your values-driven approach uh, and also no victims and we all have choice and here we are together. I would add to that by saying, I think that's a reason why Elena and I have been friends for so long through the ups and downs and we've stuck with, our group, we've stuck with the podcast because we've seen a lot of groups come and go and our hearts are in it. Our, we have integrity. We are, we will not sell out. This is our passion. We are the people that we are catering our message to. We are the people that we're trying to help because Elaine and I have gone through so many ups and downs over the past few years. And we've always been very honest about what's happening in our lives in order to create more awareness and room for women to feel like this is normal. Like, I mean, we just released a podcast about intrusive thoughts and um, just normalizing what happens when you're dealing with trauma uh, because you cannot find that kind of support and normalization and community around that. We did not find that. So we're like, you know what? We'll just, we'll just do it ourselves. We'll create it ourselves. Yeah. So let's take a few examples, maybe starting with intrusive thought. We might have a number of listeners who are not familiar or aware of what that term means. Can you speak about that? And then just the benefit that that conversation has brought to other members. Well, let me begin with saying the most recent conversation around intrusive thoughts was around, were we experiencing some sort of karmatic retribution? Did we cause our partners injuries? Because of something we had done in our lives. Or a past life. Right. You know, that there was something that we did. Maybe if things went differently than our partners, you know, you go down this rabbit hole of your brain is trying to process, organize through through making meaning of everything that's happened. It's a trauma response. But you you go down the rabbit hole of, well, there was that one time where my partner and I broke up back in like... 2014 and had we stayed broken up then this wouldn't have happened and this wouldn't have happened we wouldn't have gone there this trip wouldn't have happened he wouldn't have dove in the pool he would have never had it it's crazy thinking and it's so common and normal 
Yeah, and for parents, too. There's a lot of parallels for parents taking care of kids who are living with spinal cord injury. If I hadn't let him work that job, if we hadn't gone on that vacation, if we hadn't stopped for lunch that day, which delayed us two hours. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Intrusive thinking is how you refer to it. And I can give you another example. A lot of women, including me, have struggled in the past with fear of loss of control and accidentally hurting your partner. I know this is really common for parents as well, where, and I know actually Mother Teresa was very open and honest about how she suffered with those kind of thoughts when she was the world's best caregiver. Like, come on, right? And so normalizing these things as they happen is so important. Like we've talked about that. We've talked about you know, the stuff we were going through. I mean, Elena got off her antidepressant medication. We talked all about that because it's also very common to be on a lot of medications when you're dealing with trauma. Just normalizing the journey, right? Instead of being so isolated and really having no resources when you can't afford the resources, right? And not just that, like our group, you know, I we're not just therapists, all of us. We're nurses, right? A lot of us do such skilled medical care, and most of us are unpaid and unappreciated and unrecognized for that care. Yeah, I, yeah, the hats yeah. you're beginning to speak of that a caregiver for a spinal cord injured spouse, partner, brother, son, but right. wears. And we, yeah. we get into all of that. Yeah. And I, I think it's fun for us because we're not only educating people, but a lot of these topics are inspired by our, our real life. Yeah, your lived experience. You know, I'm really fascinated by your advocacy, and it's come up in our conversation about spousal uh, payments for care. Uh, What's up with that in Canada and what you're learning from the United States, if anything, about that and what that might look like for partners like the two of you who are providing this high quality medical and emotional and mental health and spiritual care. What's uh, that journey been for WAGS and your advocacy? This comes from our own personal experience as well. So here in Canada, paying spouses or common law partners for care or family members is just, it's unheard of. It doesn't really exist. And what's interesting is our human rights charter which was signed in 1982, prohibits discrimination based on marital status. And I know that's something that the charter in the States does not have even. So we're unique that way. Whereas I saw that my caregiving, because my partner and I are, you know, it's been nine years. I am his sole caregiver by choice. We travel a lot. We like to abide by our own schedule. It's just something that is a personal preference and it works for us, right? And that's a whole other podcast. But There's a lot of women out there like me who provide at least part-time care. And not just that, their partners aren't contributing to 50% of the household duties and they have to pick up the slack for that. And so both of us were just like, this is wrong. This isn't something that should be tolerated. So both Elaine and I, we have different various uh, different levels of support. So Elena, and it actually worked out really well because Elena is, her partner is government support. I am insurance workers' compensation support. Both have almost identical packages as far as 
our partners being able to hire the caregivers that they choose. Same, literally same wording on some of the packages. And so what happened was, is I was like, I'm my husband's full-time caregiver. Why am I not being compensated at all for this? When the human rights charter says that I cannot be discriminated. He went to go and sign up for the program where he was supposed to hire his staff. And they said, no, that you can't hire your wife as a staff member. Same thing happened. But they would have paid for somebody unrelated to have provided Always. that care. A hundred percent. So they have a clause that says no arm's length care providers. So this doesn't just mean spouses. This means parents. This means sister or brother. This means people that are closest to the person cannot get paid for their support. And so Elaine and I are warriors in the sense where we enjoy going up against the system in various ways. And we're not afraid of people in authority. Let's just put it that way. And so <laughs> I, I found that to be a for many of us in the spinal cord injury community. Yeah, you learn very early on that you're just a number in a system and your voice really matters because a lot of the stuff that is going on right now simply is happening because it's never been challenged, right? And without it being challenged, it'll never change. So on our own personal journeys, we are working on that right now. Um, we are at different phases of that journey, but both of us had the same experience. We were told by people in authority that we could not be hired, even though we have the exact same qualifications and experiences that are needed to be hired. So it is discrimination. And where I'm at in my case right now is I actually went to the Human Rights Tribunal and it was proven that it is indeed discrimination based on marital status. So it was a huge win for us and the lawyer that was helping us. She has it on her website now. Like it's it's a big win. But what this means though is the system doesn't change unless you force it to change. So using that um, win is gonna be what helps other couples to get the care paid for, right? It's just something that I was like, I'm never gonna give up on this because it's what's right, it, you know? Well, hang on. Let's wind that back a little bit about that big win. So tell us a little bit more what that now looks like in Canada. Is something underway where spouses, girlfriends, brothers, sister, parents will be compensated for care? My win did not spark change in policies and guidance. I know ever since COVID, people are taking spousal caregivers more seriously um, because they've realized how much they relieved the system and how much we relied on them during COVID. And now everybody cares about caregivers' rights, right? So it's a perfect time to advocate for yourself. But it didn't change anything. It's just a template that was a legal template that, you know, our lawyer has the appeal that we use. She used different cases. We have the decision letters. So we're just using our voices right now to inform other women who are interested in fighting this that they can in fact fight it it will take years so hopefully over time it just takes less and less time when you know the cases start to pile up and they realize they can't do this anymore it's just going to take more foot soldiers right and here's the cool part though is it's spreading right like we just got a message last night from a woman in prince edward island which is four thousand kilometers away from us on the other coast that is you know taking her provider to court over what's going on. 
And it's just, we want people to know. But the thing is, is it's a choice, right? A lot of women don't want to be the primary caregivers. They don't even want to be part-time caregivers. That's totally fine. A lot of the primary caregivers that are in our group, they don't want to go down this road. It's too stressful. It is stressful, right? It's too stressful. It takes too much time. They're already dealing with spinal cord injury. And they're just, you know, we've had a few that have just been like, no, I'm not going to do that because it's too difficult. And it is, it is very difficult. So where we're at right now in Canada is <laughs> it's, it's possible. Now it's possible. We've proven that it's possible, that it is indeed discrimination. And you can just kind of take from that what you will and go on your own journey. But um, in the States, and I think Elena can elaborate on this, we had an article done just last year by Amber Ferguson during kind of little post-COVID about the cost of caregiving in America. And she did an analysis of all the places that allow paid spousal support. And there was eight out of 50. And so she did a big expose into that. So Elena, do do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because that was a big deal. Yes. So like we had mentioned earlier, we had worked with the Washington Post in terms of doing First of all, an exposure on Hoopa R. Wags of SDI. Then a couple of years later through the pandemic, there was full-time job, no pay. How America treats spousal caregivers, particularly women. And it's a very outdated policy as it is that domestic duties at the, you know, within the home, raising the children, cleaning, cooking, caring should just be done without pay. I mean, these are very old, old, outdated policies and ways of looking at the modern life now. You know, women have full-time careers and they have babies and they do this and they do that. They do it all. And I think that our government sees that. We, you know, we fought for this feminist movement that we can do it all, that it's kind of backfired a little bit. Now they're saying, well, you can do it all. You can do it all. This is what you wanted. And when it comes down to the position that we're put in now with caring for our partners or really truly any sort of caregiving, whether you're a parent raising your children, whether you're an an adult um, taking care of your elderly parents, whether you're a spouse taking care of your injured partner, it all comes down to, you know, the same thing. It's where is the compensation? Where's the care for the women in our group? These are jobs that you cannot put on your resume because it's not recognized as a paid position. This is a job that doesn't come with benefits. What if you get injured? Is there some sort of workers' compensation for you while you're caring for your partner? What if you need a massage? What if you need to go see a chiropractor? There is nothing available for you because it's not a recognized position. And so when this article came out during truly like when everybody was in lockdown, it was very apparent that we were afraid. The women in our community were afraid because we were hearing information such as keeping, you know, how very, how very dangerous COVID-19 was to somebody who's already had an injury, like a spinal cord injury. They were saying things like, we don't have enough ventilators. There are no, not enough beds in hospitals. These became a reality to us. So the care that for my personal case, we have every day, we have somebody coming into our home for an hour and a half in the morning. We cut even that. So we were afraid that the care workers and a lot of women in our community were afraid that the care workers that were hired are going from home to home to home while we don't know what those surroundings, what those environments are like. We experience the same thing. So what do we do? How do we 
so what so what do you do right to keep your partner safe to keep you safe you cut the the little care you that do you it have, all that's yeah. giving you respite you do it all it all becomes your job the showering your partner dressing your partner helping them get in and out of bed um, if your partner is vent dependent, if he has pressure sores and he's lying in bed, you're doing all that. You're doing highly skilled medical grade care that you're not being recognized for and you're not being compensated for. Even though it had been very openly highlighted that family caregivers, spousal caregivers were truly keeping patients from becoming sick and going to the hospital. And we were truly helping the medical field in general. No, I think it's pretty well documented that the best outcomes for a spinal cord injured person have to do with the quality of their family relationships and care and their closest people around them, without a doubt. So this is such a fascinating topic, and it certainly does have applicability for parents. And I'm thinking just with our parallel nonprofit, Blink of an Eye, focused on the crisis and for parents of spinal cord injured. But we've already been encountering, you know, a girlfriend, a fiance, who are facing these kinds of same challenges and what it might look like for them to actually take on those roles, but some type of financial offset. Because so many families in the States do not qualify as a family then for what we would have, which is Medicaid. And there are so many barriers for people getting the kind of care that they need, and it's just too expensive out of pocket. So at least can raise the awareness of what is required and necessary for quality care. And certainly, I love how you're tying it to this skilled nursing, skilled medical care has value and saves the system so much. You know, not to mention coming back over and over to emergency rooms. It's very uh, valuable. And then, of course, the other side, the relationships. And here's the thing is that parents, when you have a child and you become a caregiver, you do get compensation. That's the difference between how our society views spousal caregivers. Maybe it's not a lot. You get a child tax credit. You get support from the government when you become a parent. You can even get support for having your daycare. Oh, in Canada. Yeah. When your partner yeah. becomes injured mm-hmm. in Canada, in Canada. Yeah. So when your partner becomes injured, you don't get anything. You basically, they will scoop out your entire savings account, make you sell your home because the credit for adapting your home is very small if you even get one to, let's say, for example, with us, we had a three, four story townhouse. There was no way we could go back. So we were talking and having conversations already while he was in an ICU. We said, listen, give it to us straight. How long until he, we get to go home? And the nurse finally She said, I shouldn't be saying this to you right now because it's not my place, but he won't be coming home for at least a year. And that's what it set in being like, okay, this is not just like a broken leg or a broken arm. Like he is not, if you're not coming home in a year, 
And then you're coming home in a wheelchair and you have stairs and it's not accessible. You're put in a corner where you have to completely, you become displaced. You have to relocate. It's so true. And even that conversation that the nurse shared with you, which was, I shouldn't be saying this. We experienced it as well, but it was in the inverse. It was like, you're going to be leaving here in four to six weeks. You're going to have to tell us where your son's being transferred. And it was like, what? And and the only alternative was home to die or a long-term acute care facility where there was no rehab or skilled nursing for what he needed. So another place to die. So these conversations are like off the record, but some of the more important ones that a, a wife, a girlfriend, a family member needs to hear to plan and prepare. The reality is that a lot of people do become homeless. You're completely correct. Like, let's say you sold your house. For example, we went through that. We sold our home. He was, they were saying, okay, so he's leaving rehab. Where do you want to go? And it was, it was just me moving him out of rehab. And I said, oh my God, we have nowhere to go. Like, we found a place to rent. We live in Vancouver with sardine can. It was not accessible. Trying to find housing in a housing crisis on top of trying to find accessible housing is next to impossible. You know, it's occurring to me that the members of WAGS, those of whom take up the mantle as advocates, just their experience and finding their voice through your wonderful group might allow them to have more conversations wherever they go. And one might even be with realtors, just bringing the awareness to realtors of knowing what homes are accessible or when they're selling a home, you might consider if you have a friend who's in a wheelchair or as you age, what this might look like in this home, just raising the awareness of other abled people's needs can be so valuable for society. And do you know how many posts a week we get on the group or emails we get on resources that we had, even us, you know, we started this in 2017, even us, we had no clue. We're just like, well, we learn so much from each other. We are like encyclopedias. We get emails all the time of women asking us these questions. We said, you know, there's over 2000 women and interacting every day on our private group that have so much wisdom. They know way more than us. You should post this on here. You're going to get a lot of responses that you never even thought of that will really, really help you. I know there's a physician shortage in the States right now where and there's a lot of women in our group that they don't even have physicians because they live in small towns. You know, they'll post things on the private group that are of medical nature and say, ladies, what do you think of this rash? Or is this a stage one pressure sore? And, you know, obviously we direct them to appropriate medical care, but there's so much that these women know. So much wisdom. Yes, that they, yeah, there yeah. a lot of us joke around and say, you know, before we call our doctor, we're going to go, you know, get the doctors at, on the WAGS group because they, these ladies know, right? I do think it's these ladies know. We're finding that our navigators yeah. for Blink of an Eye are almost all moms, women, and they have this incredible treasure trove of real life lived experience. And yes, we also do have a, 
a nationally recognized best-in-class spinal cord injury medical team to support them to answer the medical questions. But let me tell you, they've got tons of information for families in the first 30 days of injury from their own life experience. Uh, And what families can choose to do with that information, it would be delivered in a neutral way, but it is a power trove of information that you are collecting with the women involved in WAGS, and and we are too. You know, we're starting a digital resource library, uh, very practical, just for the, the families. And it could be that that's something that we talk further about with all the wisdom at WAGS. It's amazing. That's fantastic. And, you know, it really does take, like, we've all sort of echoed the same thing over and over again. It's lived experience and it's it takes anger. It takes that frustration for you to do something about it. You have to feel like you're not understood, like nobody cares. Like you said, you know, you leave rehab, okay, go home and die. Like that's, you have to get to the very, very deep core of these horrific emotions, these moments where you're just like on the ground screaming crying like how can this be because that is what fuels change we spoke about this earlier in the podcast the frustration use it for the good use a brook and i are big proponents of shadow work do your shadow work take those you know some people might say oh that girl's crazy she's a bitch it's like take those bitch qualities and do something good with them fight for equality fight for justice fight for change fight for something that's going to pave a better path for other people that are going to come, you know, long after you. That's exactly where it really begins. You might be familiar with the work of internal family systems um, and the shadow work. It can certainly be quite helpful and important for any human, but especially those who are juggling so much as loving and caregiving in the spinal cord injury world. Well, I just admire both of you tremendously, I thank you for your wisdom and for your advocacy. And I hope we can have another conversation further and to think about, you know, for you, Brooke, that career-minded woman who wanted to travel the world, you are. You're just doing it a little bit differently. I love that. And, And who would have thought, Elena, for you, that you may have been like the originator of so much happiness through the date nights as well as making it so safe and your being so vulnerable and willing to share the real deal with people. It's, uh, it's models like that that change the world. So thank you both so much. I'm wondering, is there anything else you'd like to share with your listeners, our listeners today about either of you or your work or some wisdom you'd like to impart? We're actually going to be in Atlanta presenting at the ACRM at the end of October, um, which should be fun. We're going to be there for three days. We're going to try and get together with some of the Atlanta, Georgia-based WEGS of SCI. So we're doing that. We're really excited. We're going to be keynote presenters on our research. Just, you know, we're going to present about the group, but we're also going to present uh, the research we're doing partnered with the Kessler Foundation We're doing some caregiver research and caregiver studies that are going to be published. And so we're going to discuss that. And so we're we're really excited about that. And it should be really fun. Well, we will look forward to that. We'll benefit from all of the 
culmination of that data and then the research that you're actually putting forward. Again, smart women with big hearts who will not be victims making a difference. Thank you so much for having us on today. Thank you both. Elena and Brooke's distinctive role as both caregiver and partner presents a challenging yet rewarding dynamic. It's a role that few can truly grasp until they have experienced it themselves or are currently living this lifestyle. They have discovered that when they connect in person with those who share similar experiences, they experience an indescribable sense of relief and sisterhood that is deeply needed and that gives them the support needed to remain in these often complicated but extremely rewarding relationships. The resources and insights exchanged among fellow WAGs of SCI are not only practical and invaluable, they are private and even exclusive, members only, to ensure authenticity and confidentiality. The members of WAGs of SCI are the ones who remain supportive in the day-to-day for their SCI spouse or boyfriend when everyone else returns to their own lives and routines. The wives and girlfriends talk about the nuances that often go unnoticed by others and share their unique vulnerability and their life hacks as well as resources. Wags of SCI also embraces a no-victim attitude. They know it's hard, but they don't suffer pity parties for too long. They are dedicated to offering a positive, constructive, and resourceful community to each other with a constant reminder, we all have a choice. Wags of SCI is for those making the choice to remain partnered with SCI men and live fully. Stay tuned for more incredible stories and insights on spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in future episodes in the Dear Louise series of our podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. Life can change in the blink of an eye. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.